0: Father, I just thank you for this Sabbath, yet another reminder of your beauty and holiness, uh, a reminder of the fact that you have been faithful to us this last week and all of our lives. And so, Lord, as we pause to focus our attention on you, we pray that we who are dust, yet jewels in your eyes, that we will be reminded this morning of what your plan is for us and how you desire to transform us, I pray that your spirit will be here today, that you will drive away any distractions, any influences that are not um, holy, and we just pray that your word will speak and that Jesus will be seen. This is our heart's desire, for we pray it in his name, amen. The message today, this is part number one, by the way, uh, of two messages, I want to encourage you to come this afternoon as well. Uh, at 4 p.m. But uh, this message this morning is entitled Pillars of a Higher Loyalty, Secret Sauce for End-Time Missions. I hope you like that title. I I agonized for an hour to find a good title. So uh, maybe someone will appreciate it. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is where we're going to spend our time today for the most part. And I want to have a little drone fly over, uh, over the first couple of chapters in the book of Acts. Acts, we're going to be mostly in chapter 8, but if we go in the book of Acts in chapter 1, it's right after, 40 days after Jesus was resurrected uh, from the dead. Jesus spent some time with his disciples, uh, the apostles, and now he's about to ascend to heaven. He gives them a final charge and then goes to heaven, and the disciples have to figure out what to do. Uh, next. And as we continue uh, our flyover here in chapter 2, we see that they come together, they pray, they unite in prayer, seeking the Lord's guidance for this incredible task that Jesus has given them to reach the whole world. And the Holy Spirit comes down in Pentecost power. Uh, the early rain falls on the believers, and thousands are converted as Peter preaches a powerful sermon of repentance. Chapter Three, we see healings taking place. We see more and more people joining this movement that has uh, began now here in, in, the, in the year 31 aD chapter four. Peter and John are before the council. They arrest some of the disciples. They try to stop them from preaching the word. They try to stop them from sharing what they've seen and handled. but it doesn't uh, end there. they cannot stop sharing what they have experienced with Jesus. And so they, the believers in chapter 4 pray for boldness. They say, God help us. And the Spirit falls again, and they have boldness to share the message. Chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, a very solemn moment in the history of the early church where these uh, believers um, were not faithful to God, and they lied to the Holy Spirit. And God had to intervene to help these young believers understand the uh, solemnity and importance of the work that God has given them. And then the apostles are arrested and freed again. Incredible miracles taking place. Chapter 6, the, the movement grows to such an extent that now they need to have some organization. So they say, we need some deacons. We need some men full of the Holy Spirit who will, who will, who will take care of some of these things that we as apostles can't do. And, and so they, they choose um, seven deacons, one of which is Stephen, who later on, shortly after... Uh, is executed um, and killed uh, by the, the leaders of the Jewish nation. And here's where we're going to pick up our message today. When we look at the book of Acts, whose acts are we talking about? We, we call it the Acts of the apostles, but is it really the apostles? Isn't it much more the acts of our living God? Isn't it much more God who is working through individuals who are willing to serve? It really is a testimony of the incredible things that the Holy Spirit wants to do through people who love and serve the Lord. And I believe that the book of Acts is an open-ended book. Yes, it ends in chapter 28 uh, with Paul, Paul's story in Rome. But really, if Luke was alive today, he could have, or throughout the centuries, he could have recorded the faithful, amazing things that took place Uh, that that faithful Christians have been doing over these hundreds and thousands of years now. The question is, if Luke was still alive today, would he be able to fill his book with the stories of your life? Would your life fit into the narrative of what we just uh, saw a glimpse of? Are we letting Christ live out his life within us? Living a life radically committed to his mission, our prophetic identity, and saving the lost. Seeking to finish the work in this generation. Chapters 1 through 7, they mostly focus on what happened in Jerusalem and in the the proximity of Jerusalem. But if you remember, Jesus told them to go beyond. And in chapter 8, things changed. The perspective changes now away from Jerusalem towards what's out there. And further beyond Israel. Let's read verses 1 through 3 in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 3. This is right after Stephen was killed. And Saul, verse 1, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 2 Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let's stop right here. Here we see Saul, unconverted, infused with satanic fury, starting to persecute Jesus' followers. This young movement, they're scattered into all directions away from Jerusalem. It's a very intense time for the young Christian church. I want you to think about this for a moment. What it it must have been like to to be in that situation. Here are thousands of people who gave up everything to follow Jesus. Earlier in in the book of Acts, it talks about how they shared their their resources and the things with each other. They they were at one accord. They, They spent much time together. They were not living their individualistic lives. They were a community. They gave up everything to believe in him, to proclaim him. And now as a result, persecution breaks out, which is what always will happen. When you stand up for truth, persecution will come. They have to flee, and many probably with not much more on them than just what they were wearing, fleeing for their lives. This leads me to ask myself, and maybe you will ask yourself as well, some important questions. How much does Jesus and his mission really mean to me personally? Enough that I'm willing to give up everything for his cause? Enough to go through the often painful experience of persecution? Enough that I'm willing to lose my reputation, friends, and family? Enough that I'm willing to not have a big paycheck? Is Jesus and his cause so precious to me that I'm willing to die for him? Those are some hard questions, aren't they? It's especially hard since most of us have never gone through a situation like this. Maybe some of you have, but I doubt that the majority has. We can somewhat dismiss these questions because we assume, well, we'll never really face persecution here. We're not Melinda. This is SDA central. There, there is no persecution happening here. Or will there? It's hard to know if our vow of faithfulness today would manifest in actions of faithfulness in the future when persecution and pressures come. And make no mistake, they will come. In fact, Christianity today is the most persecuted religion in the world. Daily, people are being massacred and killed for standing up for Christ. We just don't really hear much about it, but it's taking place. Growing up um, in Europe. Europe is, as many of you know, it's a science-worshipping, atheistic um, stronghold. And growing up in that surrounding, uh, as a Seventh-day Adventist, is a really weird uh, situation. We don't have these massive institutions like here. You don't have cities full of Adventists. There are very few of us over there. And so, growing up, you, you don't... You don't feel a lot of pride. You can't really brag about, oh, wow, we have you know this massive hospital or we have this TV station or this. It's, it's a weird thing to be an Adventist in Europe. And growing up in that way, I didn't... Well, you can experience some form of persecution. Certainly not in, in the horrific ways, and the violent way, ways that we see here in the Book of Acts or even in other places of the world. But the kind of persecution that I could have experienced and I'm saying could have on purpose here, is shaming, loneliness, being publicly ridiculed by students as well as teachers. I was able to mostly navigate around such an experience by not actually revealing much, if any, of my faith. It was cowardness on my part, fueled by a desire to be liked and accepted, and mostly because of a lack of a personal love, love relationship with Jesus. I didn't really know Jesus. I mean, I, I knew of him, but he wasn't my friend. Jesus didn't shine through my life because I didn't let him. But praise God, we have the testimony here right in front of us of individuals who have been faithful despite their circumstances. And it's my prayer that what made them, fa- made them faithful will do the same for you and me. Let's take a look at verse 4. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. So we see that Saul is ravaging the church. They're being scattered. Verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. I love that verse. That's my scripture reading for today. Try to put yourself in their shoes. They were scattered. Their life situation was fragile, dangerous, and from a human perspective, miserable. Being a Christian now meant that you were a haunted refugee, not knowing who to trust, where to stay, and where to find safety. But what does the Bible verse say that they didn't respond to this persecution? How did this attack from Satan affect Christ's followers? Did they start to complain about their hardships and how difficult it is now to be a Christian? Did they give up on Jesus and his mission? They went about doing what? Preaching the word. It's fascinating. What was it that got them into trouble in the first place? Preaching of the word. What are they doing in response to the trouble? Preaching the word. Friends, Jesus' commission to share the gospel does not change when circumstances change. The call to glorify God does not end when you leave this auditorium, when you leave the church, when you leave this campus. When you take on this new job or when you move into a new town, God desires to reveal his loving character through people, no matter the time, the inconveniences, or circumstances. You're always a Christian. And the early church was full of consistent Christians. These young believers had an incredible love for the truth as it is in Jesus. Nothing could stop them from sharing what they had personally heard, seen, and experienced. They could not stay silent, even if sharing was the very thing that got them into trouble in the first place. We'll go to Acts chapter 20, verse 24. We'll come back to Acts chapter 8, but quickly, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Paul makes a powerful statement here about the situation, about the reality of being persecuted as a Christian and being in trouble and not living the comfortable life that you can have in the world. Acts 20, verse 24, the Bible says here, Paul says, None of these things, and he's referring to these hardships, these problems, these troubles, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God none of these things move me that's incredible statement to make especially knowing what paul went through it's like all this stuff it doesn't matter as long as i can testify of what jesus has done to me and who he is that's powerful why would these men and women live like that what compels a person to defy the law of the land To go against society, against the powerful, the rich, the leaders. Yes, even against family. What led these individuals to engage in what many would call rebellious behavior at the risk of being arrested, tortured, and killed and fulfilling the mission of Jesus? What makes somebody's life faithful no matter what comes? Faithful to that mission. How can we have that experience where we say, none of these things move me. I will continue to preach the word. That's what I want to focus on this morning as we study the powerful pillars of a higher loyalty. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1. I believe there are, that's probably more, but I want to focus on two pillars of a higher loyalty, of this powerful faithfulness to God. I think the first pillar of the higher loyalty is The prophetic identity that these young Christians had. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Famous scripture. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And his last words he says, Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The first pillar of a higher loyalty is prophetic identity. Jesus is prophesying here. He's foretelling what they are called to do. There was no room for doubt in the minds of these early Christians. This Jesus who had walked and talked and healed and lived amongst them, he was the resurrected Messiah. He was the Son of God. They experienced Christ as a real and living being amongst them. All the predictions about his death, And resurrection came true before their eyes. All the Old Testament prophecies were perfectly fulfilled in him. He was the real deal, undeniably. And now he's ascending into heaven. And the gospel that he proclaimed, the good news, had had transformative power in their own hearts. They could not deny this experience. In every sincere follower of Christ, that foundation in the truth, in the facts, in the prophetic identity of the word, awakened a radical dedication to the cause of Christ. It awakened complete confidence in knowing that what they were doing was right and above any human law or human threat. Christ's prophetic calling to his followers transcended and still transcends All human philosophies, perspectives, and plans, yes, even our own. His mission, his call, his prophetic calling, our prophetic identity, transcends any personal desires. The gospel message of free salvation, friends, in Christ, is too good of a message not to be shared. Yes, its proclamation is even of higher importance than one's own preservation of life. For the early Christians, there was no denying of their prophetic identity and calling. So Advent hope. Do you have Advent hope? Are you living your Adventist identity of hope? I'm speaking to you individually right now. Have you grasped your Seventh-day Adventist identity in Jesus? Do you realize what time you are living in today? Are you aware of the reality that Jesus, just like in Acts 1.8, prophesied specially about you and me and our mission today? In case you need a refresher, I brought a little Seventh-day Adventist prophetic identity crash course for you. You ready for this? Is this mic on?
1: No? Oh, here
0: we go. So to getting closer. Can you still hear me? All right, you ready for your crash course? Yes? Okay. I could have just done this in question and answer, but I'll just give you the crash course. I'll just overload you. All right. Daniel chapter 8. You don't have to open it. Daniel chapter 8 tells us when the end times and the judgment began. When was that? 1844, Isaiah 60 describes that Christ's character will shine through his people in the last days. Joel 2 promises that there will be a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days. Revelation 3 shows us our greatest need, complete surrender to Christ. Revelation 10 directs us to prophesy again despite the bitter experience of our pioneers. Revelation 12 identifies God's remnant as obedient to God and guided by the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 13 portrays the political context in which we are called to witness. Revelation 14, in this chapter, the three angels lay out the content of our message today, which is the glorious truth, That Christ, our Creator, loves us so much, this world, that He's giving all people a final invitation to be rescued and transformed into the likeness of His character. Revelation 18 is the equivalent of Isaiah 60 in the New Testament and reveals the last moments on earth when the beauty, purity, holiness and righteousness of Jesus will shine through His faithful remnant individuals to lighten up the world one last time with the glory of God. And Revelation 22 points us to the soon second coming of him who holds our hearts. Friends, ours is an incredible, undeniable, prophetic identity. Jesus has spoken to us with a clear purpose. To belittle its significance as some do or to completely ignore this reality is one of the worst decisions you can make as an Advent hope believer. Fellow brothers and sisters, the first pillar of living out a higher loyalty is your prophetic identity in Christ. Understanding why and what you believe and especially who Christ is to you personally. Realizing the time that you are living in right now. And how the prophetic word gives you as an individual a clear direction, powerful principles and tools to become all that which Christ prophesied you to be. We have the word of God and the spirit of prophecy to guide us through these last days. It's not just devotional books. It's blueprint. The second pillar of this higher loyalty exemplified by the early Christian is found in 2 Corinthians 5.14 2 Corinthians 5.14 where Paul tells us that the love of Christ what does it say? constrains us, compels us the love of Christ compelled these early believers it was the driving force energy, the fuel, the Tesla power bank, just much more than Tesla. Brother and sister, do you truly love Jesus? Have you experienced his goodness, his perfect work, and his incredible love? And does his love compel you, constrain you? define you, and impact you day by day with your choices and things you make and do and plan? Is Jesus' love and your love for him the foundation, the motivation, the inspiration, the power, and the driving force of everything that you are and do? You know, a lot of people like Jesus. A lot of non-Christians like Jesus. I recently saw a video of a, I don't even know what he's, but some kind of Buddhist-ish guru thing. And he talks about Jesus and very much appreciates Jesus. A lot of people like Jesus. A lot of Adventists like Jesus. But we're not talking about liking Jesus. We're not talking about merely appreciating Jesus. We're talking about a love that is thoroughly and deeply rooted and anchored in the core of your being. A love that is stronger than death. A love that is fundamentally deeper than any other affection. A love of such quality that it is manifested in a willingness to sacrifice all, even your life, for Him. It's a love that is imparted and awakened by God Himself. For the reality is, you and I, we cannot produce such affection on our own. We don't have that love in our hearts from ourselves. It is something that has to come from above. But it was such love for Jesus that led the early Christians to joyfully go where Christ sent them, to do with excellence what he told them, to sacrifice what they had, even life itself, to live fully a completely surrendered life for their precious and beautiful loving friend and Savior, Jesus and it is such love for him friends that christ wants to develop in us still today isn't that amazing he wants to do that for us friends without the experience of such divine love in your life i guarantee you and i speak from my personal experience now that your christian walk and experience is and will become empty and undesirable If there's not a circuit of that kind of love flowing between God and you, you will consciously or subconsciously try to make up for the void by seeking all kinds of pleasures elsewhere. You were designed to love and be loved by divine love. And if it's not an experience we have, we as humans will try to desperately find other sources for that fulfillment that only God can give. But as we all know, those only leave us with temporary moments of pleasure that quickly fade away, and we—they make us feel even emptier than we were before. And when we come to the religious realm, in our churches, in our teaching, in our preaching, all truth and all doctrines, all rituals and all righteous behaviors—they're like a skeleton. They're important. But a skeleton without flesh and blood and life is not really worth much. If our doctrines and our truths and our preaching is not soaked and baptized in and vitalized by the love of Jesus and in a love for Jesus, we're missing the gospel. You might be struggling with your faith today, and that's Okay. Maybe you're struggling with Adventism. But I want to encourage you. There is Advent hope. There is hope. A victorious and wonderful, joyful Christian experience is more than possible. It is the love of Christ that is key. Fall in love with Christ and your Christian walk will come alive and you will experience the book of Acts in your life. How do we do that? How can one learn To love God like these early Christians did. It is, I believe, through a real experience, a face-to-face moment with the grace of Christ. Through letting the Holy Spirit make the simple yet eternally profound truth that God is love, a personal reality. I remember many years ago, I had given my life to Jesus, but I don't think I fully understood what surrender and complete reliance and and loving Him really meant. And God very clearly, in a very short amount of time, pointed my my thoughts and my mind to Psalm 51. We're not going to go there today, we're not going to study it today, so that's a different sermon. But I'm sure you're familiar with Psalm 51, that that famous psalm that David wrote as a reaction to Nathan calling out his sin with Bathsheba. It's a powerful scripture in which we see true surrender, true repentance come alive. And and God pointed me to that place and showed me clearly how important it is to give your complete heart to him. But not only that, in there he, he describes how he's cleansed from all sin. And that God will give him renewed strength and heal the broken bones, so to say, in his life. He experienced grace and forgiveness. When you experience the forgiveness of Christ, when He takes away the shame and guilt in your life, it changes everything. It changed everything for me. I I was broken with joy and and I was glorifying God because He was forgiving me, understanding that. We say it all the time. We talk about I mean, this is our message, but... Do we experience it? Do we understand what that means? Have we bathed in the grace of Christ? John, the love apostle, writes that that which we have heard and seen and handled and experienced, we share with you. I want to encourage you. Please, friends, gift yourself... Some time to handle, to see, to hear and experience the most beautiful reality and most wondrous study of all, Christ and Him crucified. Spend time at the cross. Behold and study the cross. What took place there unlocked the entire gift of salvation. When you see the incredible beauty of His sacrifice, how justice and mercy kiss, when you study that in depth and, and engage with this, these realities, it, it is incredible what will happen to your heart and life. When you see how God Himself goes through the anguish of the second death so that you don't have to. When you see the true darkness and ugliness of sin, as the most beautiful and innocent being of all time, is tortured and killed and filled with all of our disgusting sins. When you see the purity and beauty of righteousness in contrast, I can guarantee you that your indifference that you have, the boredom you might feel in your Christian experience, the annoyance you might have towards Bible standards, the unwillingness to forgive and serve others, it will all melt away in the light of a true face-to-cross experience. You will fall in love with God, and you will come alive. That is the experience we all need, I need, on a daily basis. Without it, I'm nothing. And that love that these individuals had, and we're going to study more about this this afternoon and what that looked like. That kind of love can only come from an experience with the cross. So please gift yourself some time with the cross. It's Christmas. It's time for gifts. You can gift yourself that kind of gift. You might know I know everything about the cross. You might think that way. But in all honesty, I doubt that anyone here can really say that. Oh, we know what happened at the cross. Yes, but do you really know what happened? And White says that the plan of salvation will be the study, the theme of our study of the redeemed throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. If you can fill an eternity with studying the plan of salvation, let us not be so prideful and think that we understand everything that happened there. There is a lot to learn, and as more we learn, the more we will love Jesus. You can appreciate and like Jesus through prophecies and understanding the logic of our beliefs and the beautiful beautiful, complete, holistic message of the Adventist message. You can be converted to the logic of Adventism, but what we really need is a conversion to Christ, who is the manifestation of all of our beliefs. And together, love and truth has the power to transform our hearts and empower our lives to overcome when you behold and study the cross, His ultimate life of love, it will awaken a supernatural love response in you for Him, which you've never had before. It will revive your spiritual life. It will empower you to trust Him. It will enable you to actually overcome that favorite sin of yours. It will compel you to engage in His mission with joy, and your everyday life will actually be fulfilled in fact, the spirit of prophecy says that we will be the happiest people on earth. I believe I've, I've, I've grasped just a little bit of that. I'm really happy when I, when I think of these things and experience it. But I think there's so much more. And that's what I want. And this is what we need to share. Loma Linda University to make man whole. That's part of that. So it is these two pillars, the prophetic identity and the love of God that enabled the early church and faithful Christians throughout the millennia to consistently live out and share and reveal Christ to the world with a joyful attitude, no matter what the circumstances were. I want to share with you the story of Dimitri. Maybe you know the story. Dimitri not too long ago, started a forbidden home church in Russia during communism. The authorities found out one night as Dmitri spoke. The door to his house suddenly violently burst open and an officer and soldiers pushed through the crowd. The officer grabbed Dmitri, pushed him against the wall and started slapping him left to right and left to right. And he slammed him against the wall and said in a cold voice, We have warned you and warned you and warned you. I will not warn you again. If you do not stop this nonsense, this is the least that is going to happen to you. As the officer pushed his way back toward the door, a small grandmother took her life in her hands, stepped out of the anonymity of, what, of that worshiping community, and waved her finger in the officer's face sounding like an Old Testament prophet. She declared, you have laid hands on the man of God and you will not survive. That's boldness. (laughs) That happened on a Tuesday evening. On Thursday night, the officer dropped dead of a heart attack. The fear of God swept through the entire community. At the next house church service, more than 150 people showed up. The authorities couldn't let this continue, so Dimitri went to jail for 17 years. Once in prison, he was often beaten and was even told his wife had been murdered and his children were taken by the state. And so under this emotional pressure, Dimitri finally broke under the strain and agreed to sign a document renouncing his faith. The guard said they would bring the document the next day. That very night, this is a true story. That very night, he sat on his jail cell bed. He was in deep despair, grieving the fact that he had given up. At that same moment, a thousand kilometers away, his family, Dimitri's wife and his children who were growing up without him, and his brother, they sensed through the Holy Spirit the despair of this man in prison his loved ones gathered around, knelt in a circle, and began to pray out loud for him. Miraculously, the Holy Spirit allowed Dimitri to hear the voices of his loved ones as they prayed. Can you imagine? The next morning, when the guards marched into his cell with the documents, Dimitri's back was straight. He looked at his captors and declared, I'm not signing anything. The guards were incredulous they had thought that he was beaten and destroyed i mean they tortured this man for years what happened they demanded to know dimitri smiled and told them in the night god let me hear the voices of my wife and my children and my brother praying for me you lied to me i know that my wife is alive and physically well and i know that my sons are with her and i know that they are all still in christ so i'm not signing anything He was kept in prison many years. For 17 years, every morning at daybreak, Dimitri would stand at attention by his bed. And as was his custom, he would face the east, raise his arms in praise to God, and then he would sing what he called a heart song to Jesus. He didn't have a Bible or anything. He just, from his heart, praised Jesus out loud every morning for 17 years, sang his heart song. The other prisoners, I mean, these are some of the worst kind of people, they would laugh, curse, and jeer. They'd bang metal cups against the iron bars in angry protest. They threw food and sometimes human waste to try to shut him up and extinguish the only true light shining in that dark place every morning at dawn. One day, Dimitri found a full sheet of paper and a pencil in the prison yard. He was so excited. He rushed to his prison cell and wrote every scripture reference, every Bible verse, every story, and every song he, about Jesus he could recall on that paper. He posted it on a, on a damp pipe in his cell as an offering to God. Every time the the, the guards would find him doing that. He, he, he would sometimes find small papers. They would, of course, take it away, and they would beat him. But this, is the, this was the time when he found a full sheet of paper, and he did it again. He put it up there as an offering to God, worshiping God. They came in, the officers. His jailer saw it. They, they beat and punished him and threatened him with execution. As the jailers dragged him from his cell down the corridor, the strangest thing happened. Before they reached the door leading to the courtyard, before stepping out into the place of execution, 1,500 hardened criminals stood at attention by their beds. They faced the east and they began to sing the heart song that they had heard Dimitri sing to Jesus every morning for all those years. Shocked His jailers released their hold and backed away from him. Who are you? One demanded. Dimitri straightened his back and stood as tall and as proud as he could. I am a son of the living God and Jesus is his name. The guards returned him to his cell, shaken. And shortly afterwards, he was released and returned to his family. Every morning for 17 years, Dimitri sang his heart song. In the face of intense opposition and persecution, he offered praise to God. In the darkest and most hopeless of circumstances, he clung to the Lord Jesus and proclaimed his faith. Friends, Dimitri knew his identity in Christ. He loved Jesus consistently because he had an encounter with the crucified Christ And this awakened in him a love born of heaven for God and for all around him. Wherever he went, he boldly preached Christ and let Jesus live out his life within him. There are some people here today from all walks of life. Someone here maybe used to have a real connection with Christ. But life's sins and distractions got in the way. And you might have lost that first love that you once had. Maybe somebody here has never really fully taken hold of the powerful prophetic identity that you have as a Seventh-day Adventist. You haven't accepted that amazing calling God has upon your life to be a consistent light to this dying world. Or maybe you have dismissed it as inconvenient for the lifestyle that you think will make you happy. Maybe somebody else here today has not fully yet given themselves to Christ. Maybe you haven't really spent much quality time at the cross and allowed yourself some time to bathe in the grace that flows from Calvary. Maybe your heart and pride has not been broken by beholding the Savior of the world being broken through the darkest anguish just for you. Maybe you don't have a heart song yet. Whoever you are and wherever you are, I just want to appeal to you today. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you like he spoke to Dimitri. Let him speak Jesus into your life. So my question to you today, this morning, as we come to a close, is if it's your desire to, to continually to surrender to Jesus, like Dimitri, like these first Christians, to take hold more firmly of that prophetic identity that God has for you as a Seventh-day Adventist. If it's your desire to let your heart be touched and broken by the man of Calvary and be filled with his love. If it's your desire to, like Dimitri, start living for that higher loyalty, shining the truth, hope, and love of Christ intentionally and actively to this dying world. And just like the early Christians, preach Christ with your life despite your circumstances, engaging in God's end-time mission. If this is your desire this morning, I want to invite you to stand where you are, saying, Lord, I want that heart song. I want to love you so much that I'm willing to die to give all, to surrender everything. I want to take hold of that prophetic identity, And live a life of faithfulness, of higher loyalty. Something that Christ will do through the Holy Spirit in you. Jesus, you hear this heart song of ours right now. Lord, we recognize our need of understanding our prophetic identity. The incredible call you've given us in your word. We just saw a glimpse of that today, Lord. But I pray that each and every one of us here will take hold of it understand it know it live it but lord even more than that we desire a face to cross experience on a daily basis lord break our heart bathe us in grace take our shame and guilt and awaken in us the love that these early christians had We want to love you, Lord. And we want to have your love in our hearts so that we can love others the way you loved us. We recognize that only you can do all these things. That's why we come to you. That's why we sang. And so we pray, Lord, that our life will be a life of faithfulness because Jesus' is love and truth, and His Spirit is in us. This is our desire. We pray in His name that all of people say, This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.